Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you're here online, um, a very warm welcome to you as well. My name is Malcolm Duncan. I have the privilege of leading the congregation here at Dundonald. And if you're here in the room for the first time, it's also a real joy to see you. Thanks for coming and being with us uh, today. We believe that God speaks to us through the Bible and that it is his inspired word. And each week we will take a passage of scripture and look at it together and then reflect on it before continuing in our worship of God. Listening to God's word is also an act of worship. So if you have a Bible with you today, would you please turn to Psalm 46? And if you don't have one with you, then I'm sure someone that is close to you will have a Bible that you can share um, this reading with. My hope and my intention is to be able to bring you a word of encouragement this morning and just to remind you of God's faithfulness and God's grace to you. <clears throat> Psalm 46. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. And if you have a, a Bible, you'll see a little word, Selah, there. That's, that means pause and think. Quietly reflect on what you've just heard. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. God always blesses the public reading of his inspired and his infallible word. Let me read those words again from a different paraphrase of the Bible. God is a safe place to hide, ready to help when we need him. We stand fearless at the cliff edge of doom, Courageous in sea storm and earthquake. Before the rush and the roar of oceans and the tremors that shift mountains. Jacob wrestling God fights for us. God of angel armies protects us. River fountains splash joy, cooling God's city. The sacred haunt of the most high. God lives here. The streets are safe. God at your service from crack of dawn. Godless nations rant and rave. Kings and kingdoms threaten. But earth does anything he says. God, Jacob wrestling God fights for us. The God of angel armies protects us. Attention all. See the marvels of God. He plants flowers. And trees all over the earth bans wars from pole to pole, breaks all the weapons across his knee. Step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. Jacob wrestling God fights for us, the God of angel armies 
protects us. In a worship song that he wrote not very long ago, the worship writer and worship leader Chris Tomlin wrote these words, song, words that are full of faith and courage and trust. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning about the God who fights for us and wrestles with us. The God that's described in Psalm 46. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase um, translates the phrase that you find in Psalm 46 this way, God of angel armies. The words that are actually in the scripture um, are uh, Jehovah Sabaoth, if you are used to reading a Bible that is transliterated in some way, or Yahweh Tzavi in Hebrew. It's one of the most common compound names for God in the Bible. And if you're reading a New Revised Standard Version or a King James Version of the Bible, then you will read it as this, the Lord of hosts. If you read the NIV, then it's translated the Lord Almighty. Turn back in your Bibles to Psalm 24, verse 10, another song that is written and recorded for us to help us understand who God is. And you'll read the phrase used there as well. This time it's a question and answer. Who is this King of glory? The answer, the Lord of hosts. Or in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the God of angel armies. He is the King of glory. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, you'll hear this powerful declaration of who God is when Isaiah the prophet sees a, a powerful vision of worship taking place in the temple. And here is how he describes what the cherubs declare, what the angels declare around the throne of heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, or holy, holy, holy is the God of the angel armies. His bright glory fills the whole earth. Looking back at Psalm 46, just for a moment, if you read verses 7 and 8 and 11, you will discover there the phrase, the Lord. Now, most of your Bibles will have it written in capitals and small capitals. It's the first word for Lord in Psalm 46, verse 7, the Lord of hosts. And then it's in verse 8 again, come behold the works of the Lord. You see it there again. And then the phrase is repeated in verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The Hebrew word that is used there is the word Yahweh. It's the divine name. And actually, even in reading these psalms and songs together, the original uh, recipients and readers would not have pronounced it. It means the God who is always the same, the God who is always present, the God who is always there, the I am, the one who is never changing, the one who can be relied upon again and again and again. If you read Psalm 46 closely again, you'll see that the word God is repeated many times in the psalm, not just in psalm, verses seven, eight, and 11, but it's a different word. In verse one, God is our refuge and our help. In verse four, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Verse five, twice, God is in the midst of the city. God will help it when the morning dawns. In verse seven, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob fights for us. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. And then in verse 11 again, the phrase is repeated, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The Hebrew word used there for God is the word Elohim. And it means the almighty one, the one who is a commander of forces and armies and, and one of great strength and courage and boldness. So whatever is happening in Psalm 46. What we hear again and again and again is that God is for us. God is with us. God is there to help us, to support us, to guide us and to strengthen us. In Eugene Peterson's version of the Psalm, he repeats the phrase found in verses seven and 11 three times because the Psalm itself is broken down into three different sections. In verses one to three, we are reminded that whatever we face, God is stronger. 
I don't know what you're going through this morning, but God is stronger. I don't know what um, situations or circumstances are causing you to fear, to be anxious. I know some of the situations of our church family. I know that for the Brown family, this is a difficult time. I know that for Diane uh, Montgomery, this is a difficult time. I know for Ollie Bird, it's a difficult time. I know for Linda and her family with us this morning, and for Mita and her family, it's not an easy time. For those that are going through sorrow and difficulty and heartbreak and sadness, for Hammy Wilson, who is really unwell, it's a difficult time. For Pauline Mooney, one of our congregation who hasn't been able to get to church for six months, this is a hard time. For some of you, it's a fantastic day today, full of joy and hope and possibility. But actually, what Psalm 46 reminds us is that whatever we face, whatever you are going through today, I don't need to know, God is stronger. He's able to carry you. He's able to guide you. He's able to help you. In verses four to seven of the psalm, the writer reminds us that he is not only there, but he's on our side. For those that love him and know him, he is your defender. He is your strength. He is your peace. He is your hope. He is your comfort. He is the one that will not abandon you. And then in verses 8 to 11, the writer encourages us to look at him. Davy, when he opened in prayer this morning, didn't know that I was going to be looking at Psalm 46 and invited us to stop, to rest, to pause, to step into a different mindset. I want to invite you to do that for a few minutes this morning, which will culminate in us eating bread and drinking juice. And I'll explain why in a moment or two. I like the way Eugene Peterson translates the phrase. I like the phrase, the God of Jacob wrestling God fights for us and the God of angel armies protects us. Because it reminds me of several things. First of all, that phrase, the Jacob wrestling God fights for us. Why in Psalm 46 and verses seven and 11 does it say, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. That re refers to Jacob, the father of Israel, uh, to whom God promised that he would be faithful, to whom God promised that he would remain um, uh, faithful to the promises and the covenant that he'd made with Jacob. But we also know that this Jacob had an encounter with God in which he wrestled with a representation or the power of God. And sometimes in our lives, we can read a Psalm like Psalm 46, and we can think this, well, that's all fair and well. That's all good that God is with us, but I don't feel him. I don't sense him. If he's with me, then why has my mum died? If he's with me, then why has my son got a brain tumour? If he's with me, then why do I have to go through hardships and difficulties and heartbreaks? You can't read Psalm 46 as if it's a kind of placid vain, bland promise of courage that means that everything's always going to work out the way you want it and the way you see it. I think that's why whoever wrote it uses this phrase, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Because we're reminded by that phrase, the God of Jacob, that this is a God who sometimes wrestles with us. He sometimes has to encounter us in such a way that if we had a choice, we wouldn't go through the things that we have to go through. We wouldn't face the heartbreaks and the challenges. We would avoid them rather than go through them. And who wouldn't? But we then think that God is absent when we go through those challenges. That's the mistake that we are reminded not to make. This Jacob wrestling God sometimes wrestles with you. But this Jacob wrestling God is the, the one who keeps promises with Jacob and all of Jacob's people. There are three ways of, uh, there are a number of ways of looking at the phrase Israel in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. One is to suggest that God has nothing to do with the nation of Israel anymore or the people of Israel because they are not important. Their plan and their purpose has come and gone. It's called replacement theology, that they're now replaced with the new people of God who believe in Jesus. I don't hold that view. Another is to say that when God makes a promise, he keeps a promise. 
And therefore, the God that has promised something to Jacob will not break his promise. And therefore, those of us that are not Jews but are Christians can hold on to the same promises of God because he won't break his promises with us either. Jacob, the God of Jacob. That little phrase is a reminder that the God that is being talked about here is the God that not only wrestles with you, fights with you, grabs hold of you and draws you into a different perspective and brings you to a different place. But he's also the God that makes promises to you and he will never break his promise. Here are some of them. I will never leave you or forsake you. That promise isn't you will always feel me. That promise is I will never leave you. The God of Jacob keeps his promises. Here's another. I will finish what I have started in you. The God of Jacob keeps his promises. Here's another for all of us that are Christians. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. God keeps his promises. For those of you that are mourning, for those of you that are going through heartbreak and difficulty, blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. The God of Jacob keeps his promises. But what about the God of angel armies? Why that phrase? Or in the New Revised Standard Version or the ESV, the Lord of Hosts. Why is that phrase repeated again and again? And why does it matter for what I'd like to say to you this morning? What good is a God who is compassionate enough to stay with you but not strong enough to finish the job that he has begun in you? What good is a God who is not God of all? If he doesn't have the strength that is required to protect his people, what use is the promise? If he doesn't have the capacity to remain with us, then why make the promise in the first place? These two things sit together like two sides of one coin. The God who is with us but doesn't always do what we want is also the God who is strong enough to protect us and to lead us in an eternal way into all that he wants. God promises us that he will surround us with his powerful and his plentiful strength. When I read those words, I immediately am reminded of a particular story in the Old Testament. I'd like to read just a few verses of it to you. If you can find 2 Kings chapter 6 in your Bible, then you will be at that story. It's a story about Elisha, and he is um, in the middle of a great conflict. An enemy king sends a huge military force after the prophet Elisha, horses and chariots and swords, the whole nine yards. And there facing them are two people, Elisha and his servant. His servant looks out at the great army, amassed to confront them, and he gets frightened. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15, picks up the story. When an attendant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. His servant said, Alas, master, what shall we do? Elisha replied, Do not be afraid, for there are more with us than there are with them. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the servant and he saw, and the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In other words, Elisha's servant got a glimpse of God's angel armies. He found that he had nothing to fear because he knew who went before him and he knew who stood behind him. What do you see when you look at British culture today? What do you see when you look at Irish culture? What do you see when you look in Northern Ireland and Lisburn and Castlereagh and all of the stuff that's happening on the political stages in Europe this week? Do you see chaos and arguing and backbiting and fighting? I see that. Do you see a job that nobody in their right mind would want as prime minister? I see that. 
Do you see a woman that's trying to work things out, whether you like her or loathe her? I see that. And you know where she will be this morning? As she is every Sunday in church asking God for help. Take aside the political opinions. Take aside all the ideas of whether you agree with Theresa May or not. The woman loves God and follows him, was brought up in the Christian faith and has a strong personal faith in Christ for herself and recognizes that she needs God's help in all that she is seeking to do. What do I see when I look at the church? I see a a group, not just the church in Dundonald, the church more generally, I see a group of people that get things wrong, that fight, that argue, that get lost in political debates and power plays. I, get a, I see a community of people that can lock themselves away from the world around them, but I also see God, a God who is at work. What are you facing today when you lift your eyes in the morning? Here's a simple way of working that out. What's the first thought that comes into your heads in the morning? Oh no, I've got to get through today. How am I ever going to manage with all of these challenges and difficulties? I've walked with families that go through significant illness, you know, and for months and months and months, when you're in that situation, when you're waking up, the first thing you think is, I have to go through it again today. It's a natural feeling. When you're walking with sorrow and grief, for months, sometimes for years, the first thing you think when you get up in the morning is, they're not here. I have another day that I have to face without them. Here somehow the Elisha story tells us that that's the servant's perspective. But Elisha's perspective is God opened their eyes that they might see. What would happen if you deliberately, intentionally, volitionally chose every morning after that first thought, whatever that first thought might be? What would happen if you chose to say, and now I remember that the God of angel armies fights with me? You may not feel it, but choose to remember it. Choose to recite it to yourself, to say it to yourself. I am not alone. How would that change how you and I manage our days? Throughout the Bible, Jehovah Sabaoth, Yahweh Tzavah, the God of hosts, the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies is our present defender, our sovereign, our holy God over all the universe who sees us, loves us, protects us and moves mountains in our behalf. He fights our battles, wins our wars and is our refuge that we can run to in a time of need. There is nothing he cannot do, nothing he does not know, nothing he cannot control, no enemy he cannot defeat, no heart he cannot heal, no mouth he cannot shut, no miracle he cannot perform with a faith-building promise to know that God promises to work in our lives and on our behalf. As the Lord of hosts, we can face the day. So whatever trial or challenge you are facing this morning, take heart. The God of angel armies is by your side, and it is he that is fighting for you. And even when you face the most unspeakable challenges and have to walk through the profoundest struggles, It is the God of angel armies, the Lord of hosts, who can come alongside you and help you. The God who fights for us. It's a promise and it's an apparent contradiction. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, the people of Israel find themselves with the sea behind them, the sea in front of them, and the Egyptian horde behind them. Where do they go? They've no way out. Moses lifts his head and he talks to them and he says this, the Lord will fight for you. You only have to keep still. In Deuteronomy chapter three, verse 22, when they stand on the edge of the promised land, Moses says, do not fear them for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17, King Jehoshaphat's reminder to the people of Israel when they are invaded by the Moabites and the Ammonites, when they're overcome by an enemy that is too strong for them, is this. This battle is not for you to fight. Take your position, stand still, and see the victory of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. 
In every one of those situations, God reminds those that are frightened, this is my fight, not yours. Perhaps that's what we need to be reminded of this morning. Whether the fight is coping with loss, coming to terms with sadness, having to walk through the path of illness. This is God's fight, not yours. At least not yours alone. It's hard not to be anxious. It's hard not to be discouraged and it's hard not to be in anguish when you go through difficulties. I find preachers that tell you that you should never be those things rather difficult to listen to because I think we all know that. What I need to know is that in the midst of discouragement and anxiety and anguish, somehow God sees me and will walk with me and that he will not abandon me. That's the promise that is being made in Psalm 46. If you think about what is being described in the psalm, it's the description of mountains that shake and waters that roar and cities that totter and nations that are in uproar. It's not the absence of those things, it's in the very presence of those things that God promises to be faithful. In Philippians chapter four, verse 19, Paul writing to that church says, my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. When Jeremiah writes to the people of Israel just before they're taken into captivity um, in 606 BC or 595, somewhere around those years, in Jeremiah 29, he tells them everything that's going to happen. It's the darkest moment in their history. It's the moment when everything seems to be falling apart. It's not a moment of victory. It's a moment of apparent despair and sadness and confusion and loss. And it's into that moment that God says, I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. You see, many of us as Christians think that to remember that God is our refuge means that we will never face difficulty and we'll never go through hardship. That's not what it means. To know that the God of Jacob, Jacob wrestling God fights for us and the God of hosts is with us is not to say that we'll not go through difficulties. It's to say this, the difficulties aren't the end of the story. God has the last word in every one of our lives. Our circumstances don't have the last word. Our situation doesn't have the last word. God has the last word because in the end, there is nothing stronger than his love. That's why Paul could say to the Romans in chapter 8, verses 37 to 39, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's holding on to the ultimate reality that God will never leave us, that we will not be abandoned and it's hardest to do that when you can't feel him. It's hardest to do that when the pressure is mounting and everything seems to be pressing in against us. The apparent contradiction in facing situations where we don't sense him and things don't turn out as we want them to is a contradiction in us, not in God. Because he says, I will be with you. And to span the chasm between what we feel and what is true means remembering eternity. Remembering God's ultimate victory in all things. And in the moments when we feel as if he is not present, allowing the truth of what he has said to be stronger than the reality of what we feel. And what we feel is not unreal, it's just not as deeply real as the promise, I will never leave you. There's a, an underbelly to Christian faith that we hate talking about, particularly in Pentecostal and charismatic churches. There's a mystery in God that can make it feel very dark at times 
and yet he is present with his light. We're not good at it, and as a result, we create transactional faith in people's minds and lives. We tell them that God is with them so long as everything is going well. God is with you in despair and in joy. He is with you when you have no answers and when you feel as if you have all the answers. He will never walk away from us. We need to learn to live in the minor and the major key of the joys and the sorrows. Can we please sing some songs about struggle? I love the fact that, where is he? Stuart was there a second ago. Stuart leads us in such beautiful songs about God being present even when we don't feel him. The songs that our worship team are leading us in are songs of truth and depth and strength. Even when I'm walking through the valley, you are with me. We sing those songs, some of them written in most recent days, beautiful songs of expressions of trust in the uncertainty, hope in the midst of despair. I've come to believe that real faith in Jesus Jesus is not triumphalism. It's not the Christian science faith of pretending that everything is fine when it isn't. It isn't being afraid to be honest about our fears or our questions or our anxieties. It is instead allowing all of those things to tumble out at the foot of the cross and believing the deeper, truer story of God's grace and strength and mercy. How do we get that into our lives then? How do we get Psalm 46 off the page and into our hearts? Well, let me suggest four things that might help you. Firstly, by living it. If you have lived any length of time, then you will have experienced trials and struggles in which God has had to prove himself. If you haven't experienced them yet as a Christian, you will. You'll go through times when you wonder where God is. God allows it because he wants us to rely on something deeper and more profound than just what we feel. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says to this young pastor, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And in the letter to the Romans in chapter 5, he says this, we boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. We live it. And some of you are living it today. And if we're really honest, there are moments when we say to God, I'd rather not live this. I've certainly prayed that. I'd rather you took it away than we have to live it. One great saint was once interviewed by somebody about their work with the poor. And the question was, um, do you always sense God? And they said, no, not at all. They then went on to say this, I know that God will not take me anywhere where his grace and his strength will not sustain me. And God will only allow me to go through that in which I can trust him. And then she said, I just wish he didn't trust me so much. I think some of you that have gone through the most severe trials don't need to be reprimanded. You need to be thanked for still being here. Thank you that you haven't given up on God. And in the midst of that dark and profound moment of difficulty, may the Holy Spirit release a fresh gift of faith on you today. Live it. Secondly, remember it. In giving his word and his principles of living to the Jewish people, God spoke through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter two, and he said, surely the Lord your God has blessed you in all your undertakings. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you have lacked nothing. The hardest time to remember the faithfulness of God is when you need it most and feel it least, don't you think? And that's why I think community is so important. Because when you're part of a Christian community, 
and you have forgotten the faithfulness of God, somebody else can remind you of it. You listen to a song, you hear a sermon, you are part of a community where somebody else is stronger in that moment than you. And their strength can remind you of God's great purposes. Remember God's faithfulness today. Intentionally and deliberately call it to mind. Thirdly, choose it. Hold on to it. When you get out of bed in the morning, let it be the thing that you think of. Think of some verses that you can put to mind. Deliberately and intentionally put your strength and your trust in God. Tell him how weak you feel and how uncertain you are. Ask him to give you the grace and the strength that you need. Have a conversation with one of us if we can help, if we can pray with you, if we can carry the burden with you, if we can get our arms under yours so that we can hold up your, show, your arms so you can keep going. But somehow, choose it. And if you're here today or watching online and you've never yet trusted God, you're never going to be able to experience this help. God invites us to choose him in choosing his son and then we realize that he has chosen us. Christ bore your burden, carried your sin, took your separation, felt your heartbreak, endured your sorrow, walked with you through mourning and offers his hands to you today to give you strength and hope and courage and forgiveness. There is no one in this room or online whom God cannot reach into and transform. Do you need him? Then ask him. Do you want them? Then go to him. Are you searching? Then you find an answer in Jesus Christ. Choose it. Remember it. Live it. And rest in it. Jude tells those that listen to him, I am confident. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing to the only God our saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. I wonder if this morning some of us need to rest in God's strength. Not rush into it and rush out again, but rest in it. And I want to invite you to rest in it as we approach bread and wine. The bread symbolizing the body of Jesus that was broken for you on the cross. The juice symbolizing the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. I want to bring you back to Psalm 46. And remind you of some of the phrases that you find here that can help you to rest in God today. God is a safe place to hide Maybe this morning you just need to say to him, hide me here for a few moments because I can't face this week without some kind of strength from you. Hide me here in worship and in prayer and at the communion table. Shield me for a few moments. God lives here. The streets are safe. Imagine that. As you come to this table, if you know and love Jesus Christ, this is a safe place. It's a place where his grace and his mercy can fill you again. And his strength and his courage can be poured into your soul. And yes, you might have to take a deep breath as you leave and say, okay, I'm going back into another week. But you're going in with the assurance of his presence with the promise of his strength and his grace. In the very last verses of Psalm 46, in most of your Bibles, be still and know that I am God. I am exalted amongst the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Hebrew of it is very interesting because the word for be still and know that I am God literally means surrender. 
stop trying so hard. For those of us that are brought up with a very strong work ethic, surrendering is hard. I remember writing a sketch many years ago in which somebody was trying to give another person a gift and the recipient said, I don't want it. If I can't pay for it, I don't want it. You don't get anything for nothing, not, not these days. Nobody, nowhere is never going to get me. You can't earn this peace. You won't get it because you come to church. You won't get it because you read your Bible. You won't get it because you pray. They open up places in which you can encounter God. But the pathway to God's peace is not trying harder. It is surrendering. And to surrender means, literally in Hebrew, the word that is used here means, lay down your arms. And maybe your arms are laden this morning with the worries and the concerns and the fears and the anxieties and the pressures and the anger and the angst and the, all of the stuff of life. Open your arms and let them fall out at the foot of the cross. Present empty hands to God to fill. Present an empty heart. Present an empty life. He knows how much you're struggling. He knows what you're trying to work out. Be still. Stop trying so hard. Surrender. I love the way Peterson paraphrases it. Step out of the traffic and take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. Who was the Secretary of State for Defense during the Falklands War? Who was the third Prime Minister of the Republic of Ireland? Who was the third President? Who came after Edward VII as king? Who preceded Queen Victoria? When was the reign of Elizabeth I? Who was the last Stuart monarch? Who was the first Tudor monarch? How many uh, empires or uh, expressions of empire have France gone through? When exactly is the Ming dynasty? What does it mean to be um, someone who has visited Tutankhamun's tomb? Who was he? Where did he live? What age was he when he died? How many children did he have? When did Alexander the Great reign? What age was he when he died? How many empires did he um, encompass? How many nations did he conquer? What about Genghis Khan or Attila the Hun or Catherine the Great? Who were these people? Where did they all come from? Can you name the last 10 conservative prime ministers? Who was the last liberal one? When was the first national coalition in the United Kingdom government? What year was Kennedy assassinated? What were you doing on that day? Many of you will know the answer to that question. Who was the president of the United States during the Suez crisis? Who was prime minister here? Where do these people all fit in time and history? I'm not throwing questions at you for no reason. Here's the reason I'm throwing the questions at you. 99% of us won't be able to answer them all. Who is the one who rose for you and still lives and reigns in heaven and will never be dethroned? Jesus. Empires come and empires go. Rulers come and rulers go. Not in some kind of metaphorical sense, in a real sense. Politicians and political power and power brokers and millionaires and businessmen and great ideas, they come and they go. We serve a God who remains on the throne forever. And in the end, whether we vote to ditch Brexit, buy Brexit, 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 if I hear that word once more, in the end, whatever happens with political decisions in the United Kingdom and in the Republic of Ireland and in Europe this week, whatever happens anywhere in the world, our God still sits on the throne. That's why we can surrender. That's why we can lay down our arms because he is always good and he is always present. If only we would trust it. 
This morning when I get up, many of you will know that I'm deaf. If you don't, didn't know that, you know now. I'm 80% deaf in one ear and 70% deaf in the other. I normally lip read, so if you were at the Christmas party <laughs> and you saw me winning my little game with Pip, he was at a disadvantage because I lip read and he doesn't, but I didn't tell him. Uh, this morning I get up and I can't hear a thing. For the first time in years, I had to go and get these blinking hearing aids that I have in now and I hate them. You might say it's such a small thing, why are you moaning about it? Because I hate them. <laughs> I object to them when they, they, they turn up everything. You all sound like Daleks when you're singing. <laughs> and I thought to myself, why today? Why couldn't that happen tomorrow? I hate wearing these hearing aids. I hate the struggle of having to put them in. I hate being worried about things like hearing and voice and health. I can't be bothered with it. But in the end, you have to make a choice. Are you going to be driven by how you feel? I didn't feel like preaching this morning. And you say, yeah, we can tell. <laughs> I didn't feel like coming to church. I felt like having a lie in. Does that make me a bad pastor? I couldn't care less what you think of me. There are times that we can't be bothered doing something, either because something's gone wrong or because we're in a situation that we don't want to be in. In those moments, you make a choice, and the choice is, I will surrender. I will lay down what I want, and I'll do what I'm commanded. And what I'm commanded to do is come and meet with God's people. Open God's word. Worship God. And I don't do it with resentment all the time. But sometimes you can come into church with a wrong attitude. Don't leave with the same attitude. And certainly don't approach this table with a wrong attitude. Because to do so is to eat and drink damnation to yourself. So whether you wanted to come to church or not, whether you wanted to join online or you have been ham-fisted into it by somebody, thanks for coming. You can be physically present and emotionally absent though. So could I invite you to do something now as we approach communion? Be emotionally and spiritually present. And take a long loving look at God. And let your frustrations roll out at him, but surrender. Let's pray. I don't know everybody in this room. I don't know everybody online. But I want to pray a prayer, first of all, for those of you that are Christians. And I'd invite you to join me in it. Silently. Help me to surrender to you today. my weaknesses, my fears, my anxieties, my struggles, my heartbreaks. Lift my eyes from them to see you, the God that is above everything. And give me grace and strength to continue to trust you. And as I eat bread and drink wine or drink juice, meet with me in grace right where I am empty-handed, surrendering my struggles and my achievements to you. And meet with my sisters and brothers, those that aren't strong enough, those that feel far from you, those that are worried and anxious. Don't just bless me in this moment. Bless all who are hungering for you. as we name them silently before you. My second prayer is for those of you that are not yet Christians and you'd like to become a follower of Jesus. I'm not asking you to join Don Elam. 
the burden you're carrying, the weight, the anxiety, the sense of failure or frustration or unfairness. You've tried everything else. Will you surrender to Jesus today? You pray with me, Lord, I come to you and I ask you to lift the burden of my heartbreak and sorrow and anger and mistakes and pain and to turn my life around. I don't need religion. I need you. I need your help and your forgiveness. And I pray that you would give me fresh and new life, that you'd forgive me of my sin Thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, bore it for me. Now lift it from me and help me to live for you. Whilst your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. If you've prayed a prayer of recommitment to God this morning, You're someone that has been wandering from him, but today you've come back. Then online, email me at uh, malcolm at dundonaldelam.church so I can pray for you. If you're in the room and you've prayed that prayer of recommitment, no one's looking, it's just me. I just want to be able to pray for you. I'm not going to chase you down. Could you put your hand up and take it down again? Thank you. Anyone else? Don't be anxious or embarrassed about that. Thank you. And if you're here and you've never begun a Christian journey... But today, you want to, online again, email me, malcolm at dundonaldelam.church. You don't have all the answers, but you know that you need Christ. If you'd like to begin that relationship today, no one is looking. Just put your hand up and take it down again. Giving you all an opportunity. Nobody else's business. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy at work here. Would you move by your spirit in our lives? Help us to follow you and to put you first. But we bring all that we are to you today and ask that you will meet with us by the power of the Holy Spirit and strengthen your people. Amen.